Welcome to this edition of Buy, Hold, Sell, brought to you by Livewire Markets, Australia's number one website for expert investment analysis. Buy, Hold, Sell is a weekly show where two fund managers share their views on a selection of listed companies in their area of expertise. Buyers and sellers are what make the market, and you'll find that our guests don't always agree on the stocks being covered. Hit the subscribe button on your podcast player to be the first to receive new episodes each week. If there are stocks you'd like our guests to discuss, let us know by leaving a comment in the review segment. Remember, the views expressed in this show are not recommendations to invest. You should seek appropriate investment advice before making any investment decisions. And of course, please read the disclaimer in the show's notes. Let's get into the show. Hey, how you doing? And welcome to LiveWise Buy, Hold, Sell. I'm Ali Selby, and today we'll be taking a deeper look at what it takes to the country's small and micro caps to make it on the global stage. It's an interesting area of the market, as just a few years ago, small caps with plans of global expansion were really avoided like the plague. Now the market can't get enough of them. So to discuss why that is and everything else you need to know about investing in this area of the market, we're joined by Tobias Yao from Wilson Asset Management and Arden Jennings from Ausbill. Tobias, I might start on you. What percentage of companies in your portfolio have you know, global operations or global exposure and how has that changed over perhaps the past five years? In our WAM microcap strategy, I'd say we have over 50% of the companies now you know, with offshore earnings, which is materially higher than five years ago. I think one of the key reasons is the fact that the market continued to gravitate towards growth companies and now you've seen a lot of Aussie success stories overseas. So management teams are encouraged by shareholders and the board to take on more risk and to expand overseas. I think finally, you know, it's much easier to attract capital when you have a global growth story to tell. So a lot of the IPOs and capital raisings are now were also of companies and acquiring things overseas. Same question to you, Arden. What percentage of your portfolio has that global exposure and how's that changed over the past five years? Yeah, so for the Osville Australian Small Cap Fund and the Micro Cap Fund, uh, for companies that um, are orientated here, it's probably around uh, 60% of the portfolio with roughly 40% offshore. But then if we look at uh, the companies where they're deriving their revenue and their growth, it's probably about 60% offshore and 40% domestically. Obviously, what's changed um, over the last you know, sort of five years, we've certainly seen digital transformation take hold and businesses have um, been able to increase their total addressable markets by going offshore. Um, and good examples of that are through such as e-commerce. Uh, but it's really those companies that have embarked on digital transformation programs, even if it's at the sacrifice of short-term profits for long-term gain, uh, that have really benefited. And probably a good example of that is like IDP Education with their uh, English language testing which I've now uh, put to computer-based testing as opposed to paper. So they're really benefiting from that now. If you had to narrow it down, what would be like the key attributes of companies that can make it overseas? Yeah, well, plenty make mistakes. Um, it is fraught with danger at times. And sometimes I often um, can focus on, you know, what not to do. I think that can help answer some questions. But some companies that go overseas too early, too quickly, um, risk really destroying shareholder capital. So what we like to see companies do is really focus on mastering their craft, 
uh, here domestically if that's where they're uh, orientated. And um, if you want to do some homework, you know, focus on Porter's five forces. I think that can help you assess each of the companies. Um, you know, assessing their strategy. Um, we like to see them expand into global markets in a really measured and prudent way, taking it slow um, and ideally in a capital light manner because the execution risk of going overseas uh, can lead to significant capital loss and they ended up divesting uh, and, and retreating back to Australia in the end. So we've seen plenty of companies um, you know, embark on that, um, but they, they're sort of things we look for. Arden's just run us through what not to do. What are some of the key characteristics of companies that can make it globally? I think uh, for us, management is always number one. So their ability to take calculated risks and execute on the strategy that they've set out. If the company is looking to expand globally, um, organically, then it really comes down to whether their competitive edge holds up on the global stage and how quickly they can scale. So someone like Afterpay is, is probably an obvious success story. They replicated their model um, in the US and scaled so quickly that it was hard for a lot of their competitors to catch up. If the global expansion strategy is inorganic, then it comes down to um, the ability for the management to do the due diligence and then figure out how to extract revenue and cost synergies as a combined entity. A lot of people have been talking about this reopening play. In your view, has that already played out or where are you finding opportunities at the moment? Yeah, so we have quite a few, um, I guess, companies exposed to the reopening theme. You know, the obvious ones are the brick and mortar uh, retailers and entertainment companies and, and travel, for example. I guess from our point of view, it's all about whether these companies can continue to grow in the, in the medium term even after reopening. So we, we've been investing in companies that has fundamentally changed the quality of their business during the COVID period, such that they're coming out of COVID on a much higher revenue or earnings run rate. So one good example is Ardent Leisure. Um, the chairman and the management team went in a few years ago to fix the business. You know, now they are traveling at a much higher earnings uh, margin and um, they're rolling out more centres, bowling centres in the US, which provides that sort of short to medium growth. Same question to you, Arden. Where are you finding opportunities at the moment? Yeah, as a generalisation, certainly the reopening um, part of the market is an area of focus for us, um, particularly around the retailers, as Tobias said, um, but those that are really focused on fashion and apparel, so the Levises, City Chic, Universal Stores, uh, they're both focused on apparel and have bricks and mortar stores that will benefit from a reopening of economies as people want to socialise. Um, so that's probably um, one area. Another would be travel and tourism. Um, so, you know, Corporate Travel and Experience Co for our small cap and our micro cap fund uh, have each of those, uh, one of those holdings each in, in the funds. Um, and, but that's not to say that um, some of the companies that benefited from COVID, uh, particularly around digital transformation, so a company like Data3 who's helping other companies uh, up-spec and upskill their workforce, um, but also their systems processes to be more digital uh, is certainly going to benefit from tailwinds going forward as people get back to work and then look to increase um, and their market share and entrench their market position. Arden, in this world of cheap debt, there's been this general acceptance of losses overseas for small caps. Companies without profits have become commonplace, as have buzzwords like total addressable market, which you mentioned before. Are there any risks that you see going forward? Yeah, there certainly are. And um, for our Ausbill Australian small cap fund and micro cap fund, we have an investment grade filter. So we actually filter out uh, the vast majority of unprofitable and illiquid companies within our portfolio. And we think that um, serves us well in the long term uh, in, uh, for, the, for both of the funds. Um, but really record low interest rates have um, 
pushed an incredible amount of money into high risk asset classes as they search for growth. Uh, but eventually we do know that interest rates will rise and that liquidity will withdraw just as the tide will go out. And we believe that those unprofitable companies that don't have sustainable business models won't be able to support themselves and, and grow into the future like they can now, given that capital is so cheap. Tobias, where are you identifying risks in this kind of global market at the moment? Yes, I agree with Arden. Um, it's very hard for a lot of these Aussie companies to succeed overseas um, over a long period of time. You know, in terms of a lot of you know the buzzword of total addressable market, the question we ask management is try to break that down for us. You know, into the components, we need to understand whether it's realistic. You know, how much is it going to cost, and ultimately whether the unit economics or the return on capital depreciates over time. Um, you know, as they expand further and further into the market. You know, what we don't want is shareholder um, sh value destruction or if the you know, overseas division um, dilutes the quality or the growth rate of the base business. Okay, I'm really excited for this. We asked you to bring along one stock that you think can really kill it on the global stage over the next year and beyond. What have you brought for us today? Yeah, so my pick today is iCandy Interactive. Post a recent capital raise and acquisition, it's the largest game developer in Southeast Asia, supporting some of the top tier brands globally. The reason we find it so exciting is because the company now has a strategy to delve into uh, games and platforms on the blockchain. And so we think that is going to play to the Web 3.0 trend, which is here to stay. So one of the reasons um, we got us interested in the business is also Anamaka Brands, which is one of the leading investors in blockchain projects, um, came on with a $10 million investment and will be a substantial shareholder in this business. The company is profitable, so we think shareholders will be getting the potential blockchain upside for free. Same question to you, Arden. Can you beat iCandy Interactive? What stock have you brought for us today? Yeah, it's probably one of our favourites uh, still, and it's been a company that we've been invested in since 2018, and that's City Sheet Collective, ticket CCX, led by Phil Ryan, who I think is one of the best uh, CEOs in the small cap market. Uh, they've been expanding successfully offshore in a really prudent, measured way. They have a clear strategy, which is plus size, digital and global. Uh, they've made acquisitions offshore with Avenues in the US and Evans in the UK, uh, but they've paid um, really good prices for those. Um, but they have also been prudent and they've walked away from some opportunities such as Catherine's, uh, which was a public auction uh, that went on um, last year. So they, they have been um, you know, really well executing on their global expansion opportunity in a prudent way and all these businesses are profitable. So it's one we think you should do more homework on um, City Chic if you haven't already. Well, that's all we had time for today. We hope you enjoyed that episode of Buy, Hold, Sell. If you did, why not give it a like and subscribe to our YouTube channel. We're adding new content every week. Thanks for listening to Buy, Hold, Sell, brought to you by Livewire Markets, Australia's number one source of expert investment analysis. Register for free at livewiremarkets.com to discover more exclusive investing articles, videos and podcasts.